This movie, Just Mercy, is based on a true story set in 1987 Monroe County, Alabama. You may remember Monroeville, the hometown of Harper Lee's novel, To Kill a Mockingbird. In the opening scene of Just Mercy, we see Jamie Foxx's character, Walter McMillan, coming home from a long day of tree trimming, his Black-owned pulping business. He's driving home in his pickup truck, and he slowly approaches a blue flashing light barricade of police officers and vehicles. An officer approaches his truck, and Walter sets his hands up on the steering wheel. They exchange casual conversation about his fancy truck, and the officer asks him how he could afford such a vehicle. Jamie Foxx's character, Walter, explains he has his own pulping business, and he owns the vehicle. Now the pleasantries turn sour quickly, as the officer calls him Johnny D. Walter's local nickname. Two more officers approach the truck, weapons pointed, thinking that the man they pulled over is guilty of committing the heinous crime of murder in their hometown. Walter, Johnny D, calmly suggests that they have him confused with someone else. The officer forces him out of the truck pins him to the hood, and handcuffs him as the blue police lights permeate through the night air. And in this tension, we begin our story. Well, as you can tell, today is just going to be your average, lighthearted, everybody feel warm and fuzzy type of morning. Uh, we couldn't use Pixar movies for every week of At The Movies, right? Uh, for those of you who are new around here, this is a very unique series that we're in right now where we take a look at some of the most popular movies that have been released over the last year or so, and we look at them through a biblical lens. In fact, and maybe you haven't even realized this, so often we're, we're gripped and, and emotionally pulled into these films because these films are actually tugging on heartstrings and tensions that have always existed for people. Many films, in fact, are simply unpacking concepts and, and storylines clearly introduced within the pages of Scripture, but just packaged in a new, modern way. It's one of the things that I'm so personally captivated by when I study and I read this book that we call the Bible. Uh, we really haven't changed much as human beings over the course of history. That The same temptations, the same sins that plagued people thousands of years ago are still very much tempting people today. The same social issues that existed in societies 2,000 years ago are still present today. The same injustices present in biblical times still exist today. And this especially holds true with the topic that we're going to be exploring today, justice. Now, now this topic of justice has been thrust into the spotlight over the past year, the last 16 months in particular, but I assure you this is not something new. In fact, when we explore the pages of this book that we call the Bible, which is actually a collection of 66 smaller books, that the theme of justice is constant. Justice is explicitly mentioned over 300 times within these 66 books, but in actuality, it's discussed or explored on over 2,000 occasions. Seriously. It's undoubtedly a topic near and dear to the heart of the living God whom we talk about here at our churches. And I don't think that that should necessarily surprise us because there's nothing that God cares more about. There's nothing that God loves more than his kids, you and I, human beings. 
He, he declared this in the very beginning when he created us in his image and he called us very good. And, and then he doubled down on this when he gave us his son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He, he freely offered his, his one and his only son because he so desperately wants a relationship with you. He so desperately wants to be close to you. And when God speaks about justice, in fact, when you and I speak about justice, that's really what we're getting at. People being treated fairly, people getting what they deserve, protecting the marginalized, protecting the vulnerable, people not being taken advantage of. Of course, God cares about this because there's nothing he cares more about and loves more than people, his children. In a similar vein, you want to know that the quickest way to win me over You want to know the quickest way to gain the affection of Shea Prisk? Do something nice for one of my children. Show love well to Malachi, Oakley, or Logan, and I promise you we will be friends forever. Conversely, you want to know the quickest way to tick me off? The quickest way to get on my bad side? Go ahead and take advantage of, hurt, exploit one of my children. Every single parent watching right now, you know exactly what I'm talking about, and the exact same thing holds true for our Heavenly Father. So so yes, you better believe God cares a whole lot about and talks a whole bunch about justice. The the movie we're going to be taking a look at today and from which we pulled that opening scene is aptly titled Just Mercy. Just Mercy tells the true story of a young defense attorney, Brian Stevenson, uh, played by Michael B. Jordan, and his fight for the justice, the freedom uh, of a man by the name of Walter Johnny D. McMillan, played in the movie by Jamie Foxx, who was arrested and found guilty for the murder of an 18-year-old girl despite a preponderance of evidence proving his innocence and the fact that the only testimony against him came from a criminal with a very strong motive to lie. One of the things that grabs your attention right away in this film are the personal sacrifices that Mr. Stevenson has been willing to make and continues to make right up to this present day in order to speak up and and fight for the marginalized, the vulnerable. Mr. Stevenson, again, even to this present day, has dedicated his entire life to offering free legal representation to those who have been wrongly condemned. And this isn't some slouch attorney, no, this is a Harvard graduate who immediately began taking these cases pro bono upon graduating from law school. He he didn't wait to begin this type of work. He didn't wait to begin fighting for justice until after he had made a bunch of money elsewhere. Isn't it true that so often we make these types of side deals in our heads? I'll start volunteering there. I'll start giving of my time there once I get all of this lined up. I'll start giving my finances away once we get all these debts paid off. No, he made this a priority immediately, not waiting for the supposed right moment. In Luke chapter 10, Luke being one of these four biographical accounts of the life of Jesus, an expert in religious law approaches Jesus and he asks him a very, very direct question, a question that I think we should all at least be a little curious about. In Luke chapter 10, this man looks at Jesus and he says, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus, what must I do to get into heaven? What he's really asking Jesus, he's going, Jesus, is there anything, is there anything that God would hold in such high esteem that he would actually use it as a sort of barometer to determine someone's eternity? It's a big question. 
It's, it's an important question, a question that I think every single person listening right now ought to be real curious concerning the answer, particularly as it comes from the lips of the supposed son of God. Now, Jesus, in typical Jesus fashion, he sort of turns the question back on the religious expert, and he asks him, hey, well, well what do you think? I mean, you're, after all, the expert in religious law. I mean, what, what do you think is the answer? And the man replies by saying, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus looks right back at him and he says, bingo, you nailed it. Do do that and you won't have to worry about this whole eternal life thing. It's sort of like Jesus is saying the best way to demonstrate your love to God is by loving the people around you. That the easiest way to get on my good side that the best way to show your love to Shea Prisk is by taking up for, caring for, loving Logan, Malachi, and Oakley, showing some love to my children, sacrificing something personally for the sake of my kids. But, but the religious expert was not through. No, trying to evade the implications of what he thought Jesus was saying, he seeks a little more clarity. He says to Jesus, he leans in and says, and who is my neighbor? Because surely you're not talking about like all people, right? I mean, you just must mean people like me, people that think like me and act like me and talk like me and believe like me, right? For for attorney Brian Stevenson, he, he looks at the very people God had placed right in front of him that the neighbors in his life are the people that very much intersect with his professional calling, the people who have not had their fair day in court, people exactly like Johnny D. Walter is tried and recommended a life sentence by an all-white jury, but the judge overrode their decision and sentenced him to death row. In this scene, we see Brian Stevenson, played by Michael B. Jordan and Walter, Johnny D, face-to-face in the jail, hoping to discuss new evidence and to try to submit in a motion for a new trial. Johnny sees this Harvard lawyer as rich, out of touch, and wondering if he has ulterior motives for wanting to represent these death row cases that nobody in the South can afford to pay. This Harvard lawyer in his suit and tie explains he grew up on a road just like Johnny D's. When he was a teenager, Stevenson's grandfather was murdered over a black and white TV. He explains they kept waiting for someone to show up and help, but nobody ever did. And that's when he realized outside of his community, nobody cared. Because to them, his granddaddy was just another black man killed in the projects. A key line in this scene is this fancy Harvard lawyer says, I know what it's like to be in the shadows. Jamie Foxx's character, Johnny D, looks him straight in the eye and says, well, that's a pretty good reason. And from that moment on, they get to work of trying to prove his innocence. Let's get to work. This is exactly what Jesus has called his followers to. Not not just sit idly by and say, oh, that really breaks my heart. No, 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 feeling bad isn't enough. 
We as followers of Jesus are called to get to work, to get our hands dirty, loving the people around us well, and in turn, show them, show them what Jesus looks like. Now, in response to this question by the religious expert, and who is my neighbor, Jesus actually goes on to tell a story. It's a story that actually every single person watching you've at least heard of. It's commonly referred to as the story of the Good Samaritan. It's the story of a man who was walking along a notoriously dangerous road to Jericho where he was then overtaken by a gang, beaten, robbed, and left for dead. But, but along comes a priest who, who sees him, but for whatever reason, passes by on the other side of the road. After him, a Levite, another Jewish leader, does the exact same thing. And, and then Jesus says these words, Then a despised Samaritan came along, and, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. It's through this story that we see exactly what Jesus meant when he said, your neighbor. Your neighbor equals anyone around you who is in need. See, there's no shortage right now of talk in our society around justice and equality, fairness, rights. But, but, but it's here that the path of Jesus heads in a drastically different direction compared to what our society may be advocating for. Insisting that all people have rights and all people are created equally is definitely a good thing. But, but Jesus takes this a step further. In fact, a gigantic step further. Justice, according to Jesus, means dying, dying to your rights for the benefit of others. Jesus makes this whole topic of justice extraordinarily simple. Love your neighbor as yourself. A whole lot simpler, but oh, so much more demanding. If our neighbor is anyone around us who is in need, then as Jesus followers, and by the way, if you're watching right now and you don't identify as a Jesus follower, you're completely off the hook for what I'm saying right now. But as Jesus followers, our responsibility is to regard the needs of others as important as our own and be willing to do whatever it takes to lift them up even and perhaps especially if it comes at a great personal cost. Loving your neighbor will cost you something. Like actually loving your neighbor, not just pounding your fist and demanding justice, it will cost you something. It will require personal sacrifice. And it's clearly illustrated in this story from the lips of Jesus himself that the fact that we were not involved in their predicament does not relieve us of our responsibility to do what we can to help them. In this story that Jesus paints for us, it, it would have very well cost this man his reputation. We, we can't even begin to understand and appreciate the animosity that existed between Jews and Samaritans. It, it cost this man his own money. For, for, for Brian Stevenson, he has left countless dollars on the table dedicating his life to defending those who are never going to be able to fairly pay him for his legal services. But, but even more than the financial ramifications— when you start meddling in cases that people would prefer closed and locked forever, he, throughout his career, has seen the drastic action that others will take to try to get him to quit. Most of us know the feeling, that moment at night when the lights start flashing behind you in the rearview mirror. 
But if your skin has less melanin, you don't think much of it. You pull over to the shoulder, stop your car, put it in park, get out your driver's license and registration, hand it over to the officer. You either get a ticket for speeding or a warning and go on with your day. But for people of color, it's a different story. This is the second scene we see in Just Mercy. When a black man is pulled over in Monroe County, Alabama, but in this case, it's Brian Stevenson's character, the Harvard lawyer, and he's pulled over for no apparent cause. As two officers approach the car, they ask Brian Stevenson to step out of the vehicle. With hands up on the steering wheel in sight, he asks politely, I don't understand, officer, why was I pulled over? I wasn't speeding. They ask again for him to get out of the car, and he responds calmly, knowing his rights. I'll get out of the car, but first, can you tell me why you stopped me? All of a sudden, the aggravated police officers pull out a gun, demands he gets out of the vehicle. Stevenson quickly talks through his motions like a play-by-play in a golf tournament. With his arms raised. Okay, I have nothing in my hands, okay? I am opening up the door. Yes, sir. He places his hands on the car and the officer pins him to the hood of the car with the gun pointed to his head. For no other reason other than to intimidate and instill fear. The backup officer rummages through his court files on the front seat, throws them about the vehicle, and they realize that they don't have a just cause. As they put the gun back into their holster and walk away, leaving Stevenson's character frustrated and scared. I want to make this abundantly clear. I am tremendously grateful for law enforcement and the sacrifice that they make on a daily basis. I'm, I'm certain that the offers depicted in that scene represent the vast minority of police officers. We, we unfortunately live in a society where we assume that if you're for one thing, you must be against something else. For, for instance, that if you advocate for the rights of the marginalized, for the vulnerable, you must be against the police. In, in a culture that devalues the many, the many who put themselves in harm's way to protect and serve us, and, and asinine ideas like defunding the police are actually being entertained, I, I want to say we honor you and we thank you. It's in fact the police that provide us a very astute example of what it means to love our neighbors, knowing, knowing that it will cost you something. I was actually recently having a conversation with a police officer who attends one of our churches, and he was open and vulnerable and shared with me that this last year in law enforcement has been by far the hardest of his career, where every single day he goes to work and he's openly mocked, harassed in the community that he serves. He serves in one of the most notoriously dangerous law enforcement positions in the entire United States, but yet he wakes up every single day and continues to serve that community. Brian Stevenson has been harassed and continues to be harassed right up to present day in his continued fight for justice as he continues to love his neighbors well. See, insisting on your rights, it feels very American. Dying to your rights does not. And this is where the call to follow Jesus and the call to follow the American dream diverge. Surrendering your rights for the sake of your neighbor was a radical, unpopular message in Jesus' day, just as it is right now. 
When we say justice, we often mean only that everyone's rights are protected, and it certainly does mean that. But, but justice, according to Jesus, means personally sacrificing to care for the poor, the needy, the oppressed, the marginalized, using your resources to lift up your neighbor. Scripture specifically actually talks about that very specific topic over a hundred times. It, it speaks of our obligation as Jesus followers to defend the cause of the oppressed. In Proverbs, we find just one of many examples of this when the writer says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor and helpless and see that they get justice. Church, God takes it very personally when people that he saw fit to die for are disparaged, mocked, or oppressed. And as his followers, we should as well. Scripture makes it very, very clear that this is actually an obligation for the follower of Christ, and we will be held accountable for how we leverage our resources for the benefit of the people around us. I love how J.D. Greer puts this. He's by far my favorite preacher. He says, the common ground for Christians is not how we do this, but that we do this. Y'all, it's certainly nothing new that even Christians have a hard time agreeing on what practicing justice ought to look like. In fact, I recognize that even recommending this movie might strike some of you as controversial. That This is an exceedingly sensitive subject rife with potential landmines, but let me propose that we have perhaps complicated those oh-so-famous words of Jesus, love your neighbor as yourself. The, the best way to demonstrate your love to me actually has nothing to do with me. Show love to my children, and we'll be best buds forever. That the best way to demonstrate your love to God is by loving the people around you, loving your neighbor as yourself, even and especially when it costs you something. It certainly cost Brian Stevenson a lot to love his neighbor, Walter Johnny D. McMillan, in this way, but the rewards were so much more than either man could have ever imagined. Picture a packed courtroom in 1987 with all whites seated in the rows and Johnny D's family and black community standing in the back, crowded next to each other. The judge calls the room to order and explains the details of why they are all there. The Harvard lawyer, Mr. Stevenson, has filed a motion to dismiss all charges against his wrongly accused client. Stevenson gives his closing remarks of why his client's case should be dismissed and his client, Walter Johnny D. McMillan, be released after finding out the state's key witness, a white convicted felon, gave false testimony. And the state ignored the testimony of two dozen law-abiding black witnesses, and all new evidence was suppressed. Stevenson brings light to the fact that all the black men and women standing in the back of the courtroom are presumed guilty when accused and is urging that the voiceless would not be ruled by fear. He urges the court would be committed to equal justice under law, regardless of wealth, race, or status. The state's district attorney, Tom Chapman, listens in troubled at the words of Stevenson and asks to approach the bench. 
Throughout the latter part of the movie, we can see the state's DA is personally being convicted of the state's distortion of truth from the people in power and the suppression of new evidence. He wrestles with the fact that if he fights the motion to dismiss, he would not only be covering up the truth, he would also be jeopardizing his own character and career. In an unprecedented move, Chapman, the state's district attorney, does not object to the order to dismiss all charges and joins the motion to dismiss all charges against Walter McMillan, Johnny D, leaving the courtroom in shock. Based on the true story, in the case of State versus McMillan, the charges were dismissed, leaving a wrongfully accused man on death row set free. Harvard lawyer Brian Stevenson, along with Equal Justice Initiative, went on to exonerate and release 185 people from death row and continues to speak on behalf of the voiceless. So if according to Jesus, your neighbor is anyone who is in need, my question that I want to leave with you today is who do you need to start showing some love to? Who is God, in fact, strategically placed in your life to start loving on? Where is God asking you to make personal sacrifice for your neighbor? It would seem, judging by how frequently Jesus spoke about this and the great lengths that he went to in order to win you back, that there is so much more at stake than any of us could possibly imagine. Father, we thank you that you are a God who speaks so frequently of justice, that we don't have to wonder when we look around at injustices in our world and go, where are you, where are you, where are you? That you very, very, very much care about this. That justice, the very thing that we often find ourselves demanding our fists for, the thing that we find ourselves going, why are you God? That that is a thing that you promised to us over and over and over again through your word. That it might not necessarily be in our timing, that how we see fit, but know that you want to use your people to protect the vulnerable, the poor, the helpless, the marginalized. And that very thing that, again, we so often pound our fences demanding, again, you promise that justice is a coming. We, we thank you, God, that you are a God that just, again, loves every single person on this planet so well, that you gave your, your one and your only son for every single person who's watching right now, that if it was just one of us, you still would have sent your son for us. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for how you're even speaking to us right now in this present moment, that we as, as a community of churches would not be marked simply by our listening, simply just by our hearing, but our doing, that we would really ask ourselves that question, like who do we need to get to work loving on? Who is that neighbor that you have strategically placed in front of us? to begin lifting up, to use the resources that you have given us to begin to lift those people or that person up. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you, Shay, for bringing us those challenges of truth for all of us to take to heart and to be challenged today as we head into our week. And as he talked about the main theme of mercy, the greatest example that we have of mercy is from God who showed us such great mercy and grace by giving us uh, his one and only son, Jesus. And 
The scriptures tell us that all of us who call upon the name of Jesus, that we can receive that mercy. And it's a free gift that we can have for ourselves. And so if you've never grabbed onto the mercy of Jesus, if you've never experienced that, then hey, what we wanna do is give you that opportunity right now. And so wherever you're watching, I wanna encourage you to just close your eyes and bow your head. And just, I want you to know the truth that maybe you've been believing a lie about how God thinks about you, that maybe you think God's angry with you. That is a lie from the pit of hell and that is just not the truth. You need to know that God loves you so much that he took care of your sin problem once and for all and gave you mercy and he died for you and he rose again for you. And so if you believe that and you wanna trust him as your Lord and Savior today, you can just repeat this prayer just after me and make it your own. Just say, Father, here I am. Here I am. I don't have all the answers. But what I do know is I'm done going the world's way and I want to go after you. And I want your mercy. I want your mercy for my life. And so I pause and I thank you for, just thank you for dying for me. Just tell them that. And not only that, thank you for rising again for me. And so right now I humble myself and I receive you, Jesus, into my life. And as we continue to pray, I just want to encourage you and just to remind you of this truth that the scriptures say that you will no longer perish but you will have everlasting life. Father, thank you for your mercy. Forgive us when we screw it up and don't display it for others. God, we're so thankful and overwhelmed by your mercy and what that means for us. We love you and we pray this in the power of your son's name, Jesus. Amen.